Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. G'day, this is Better Make It Quick, the Wednesday edition of Better Than Yesterday, which is just a uh, podcast here to make your day today better than yesterday. Been having conversations with people since 2013. Mostly just to help make your day today better than yesterday. That's it. That's all we're here to do. That's all we're here to do. Because if we're not growing, what are we doing? If we're not learning, what are we doing? I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm currently sitting in a, a less echoey part of an apartment in Melbourne while I'm working on some TV down here. And I'm here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays, Wednesdays with a guest, and Fridays with you. If you feel like this podcast brings you some value uh, when you've finished listening to it, by all means, uh, pop yourselves over and pop a vote in for a gold Logie uh, for myself because, look, I'd love to have more people listen and more people get value just the same way you are. And, look, I'm not going to lie, a gold Logie is good for business and uh, this is the kind of stuff that really ticks my clock and I like making this kind of stuff and I want to make more of it. And a vote from you would really help. Uh, today, we're listening to a small version of a much, much longer conversation with one of my true, true podcast heroes, Blind Boy. Blind Boy is nothing short of a podcasting and literary legend. He's a musician, he's a satirist, he's a TV producer. And in 2020, he came on the show and we had the most extraordinary time chatting. And if you don't know who Blind Boy is, he's, he's Irish and he wears a mask, uh, which allows him, I guess, a space to explore topics and conversations that he otherwise wouldn't be able to explore as he went through his day with his own face. But he is from Ireland and my mate Joe is from a similar part of the world. And when I told Joe I was speaking to Blind Boy, he, he said, oh, Limerick. And he said, it's a pretty rough part of town. So I'm from Limerick City and... The first thing, to, the obvious thing is that it's, it's one of these places that it has a reputation, but that reputation is not realistic. Uh-huh. You guys probably have it in, in, I mean, what have you got in, in Australia? You have bogans and stuff. Is that what you call them? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, there's parts of every city that you don't go to. There's yeah. parts of, you know, parts of my city where I grew up that I didn't go to. So there, there's everywhere always has a place 
that becomes the kind of the butt of jokes in the way that, you know, everyone says people in New Zealand fuck sheep. <laughs> like, I doubt people are actually fucking sheep in New Zealand, but it yeah. just sticks. It sticks. And when something sticks, it doesn't leave. And the thing is with Limerick, where I'm from, I've never seen someone get stabbed. I've never been stabbed. I mean, it's a, a working class city. It It's the economically kind of disadvantaged place we had a pretty bad gang war like 15 years ago that was about the height of it but ultimately what you're dealing with is it's a city that doesn't have a huge amount of opportunity compared to the rest of Ireland and there's stereotypes and the stereotypes around it is that the people are uh, violent and lower class and when people say Stab City, like your buddy there, Joe, who said Stab City, I know that Joe means no badness by that because that's just, he's having crack. He's having a bit of fun. But the thing is, is I don't like the phrase Stab City because it actually has a real impact on the ground because you meet tourists and tourists are genuinely terrified of being shot or being stabbed and no threat exists. Yeah. Because w- when these rumours start to spread, um, it, it gets out of hand, you know? I mean, I, I, and it goes all around the world. Like I, I had a buddy on the podcast before and he said he was in Jamaica and Kingston in one of the roughest parts of Kingston and they were scared of Limerick. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it, it has a reputation, but uh, as someone who's from Limerick, their reputation is completely, massively unfair. Limerick's a lovely, safe place. There's not a huge amount of money here, but the people are fantastic. That's what we go on. We've got a lot of culture. We've got a very friendly people. And I I choose to live here. I love it. I absolutely love it here. Mm. And one of the one of the advantages of having a bad reputation as well is that, you know, it's cheap to live, (laughs) which is good. (laughs) I think it's interesting that there's that parallel around the world of, you know, that's the part of the city that you just don't go to, whether it be, like I said before, you know, whether it be Compton or, you know, parts of Orange County where I used to live in Los Angeles or here in Sydney, there's parts of Western Sydney that, you know, a white guy like me just doesn't walk around, apparently. Yeah. But then my wife grew up in those that place, you know, in, in Western Sydney. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. And it's it's kind yeah. of interesting that there's that kind of and I know you talk about this a lot on your show. There's that the othering that we do as a nation to other nations. And then there's that othering we do in our own community of like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, at least I'm not from that space. Exactly. And it's a thing that humans do. And I don't really know why it is. I can never get to the bottom to understand it. But it's, it's an othering. It's, it's, as you said, you need an other to be the butt of jokes. But the problem is, is that when the jokes happen more and more and more, it actually does have an impact. Yeah. We, we have a university in Limerick, like a, a world-class university, and it's a little bit outside the city, but there's students in that university who, who never go into the city because their parents told them it's not safe. Uh-huh. And that's just not true. But the thing is, then the city itself doesn't benefit from the commerce that a university should bring so for myself like I'm not even from one of the roughest parts of Limerick City I'm from an okay kind of quiet place but I still suffered the uh, like if I go to Dublin or outside of Limerick or if I go to Australia people still say to me stab city Mm. or they'll call me uh a scanger or a scumbag which is the Irish equivalent of of bogan I suppose yeah and it's one of the things so on my podcast I speak about History, philosophy, mental health, I'll deconstruct art. And because I'm from Limerick and I have a Limerick accent, 
I think it actually works in my favour because the thing is, is that people are expecting me to be violent or to be... To, people are expecting me to live up to their stereotype of what a Limerick person is. Yeah. And when they hear me talk about the paintings of Caravaggio or yeah. something like that, it, it subverts their expectations and that little subversion can be quite good at grabbing people's attention. I concur entirely in that you you're able to kind of hold the door open a little bit longer for yeah. mo- most people who would otherwise go and they flick onto the next thing because their attention's pans to that of a nap right now. Ah, sure. The thing is, that's only the case in Ireland. But when it comes to Britain, mm. the people in Britain don't care if I'm from Limerick or Dublin. As far as the British people are concerned, we're all paddies. Uh-huh. And a paddy to a British person is, is a stereotype of a drunken, stupid, lazy person. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if I'm from Dublin or Limerick. When a British person hears me, they now have in their mind what they think I'm going to be. He's going mm. to be a drunk idiotic man so when I then speak about something which they consider to be knowledge which should belong to the British upper class if I speak that way (laughs) speak in an educated fashion that subverts their expectation and all of a sudden I now have their attention Blind Boys podcast is extraordinary it's very successful and rightly so in his home country of Ireland and across North America, he's he's very, very well known. He does massive tours. It's extraordinary. But I started listening to Blind Boy because he's really able to have these extraordinary balanced and reasonable conversations, nuanced conversations from all sides of an issue that's otherwise quite sticky in a world where so often things are polarized. Blind Boy is quite comfortably able to say, maybe I don't know everything. And I found it very, very refreshing. Thank you very much. I mean, for me, I mean, all I try and do when I'm doing my podcast is to be as honest as, as I possibly can. I, I don't bring into my awareness that there's even an audience sometimes. For me, it's almost like a, an honest reflection and catharsis, except into a microphone. And for me, that tradition comes from, like, obviously, as you know, from listening to my podcast, I've got, I deal with uh, social anxiety, mental health issues, depression as well. And journaling, writing down as honestly, like, I I get asked a lot of the time, people say to me, I'm suffering from anxiety, I'm suffering from depression, but the pain is so great that I don't even know how to say it to another human being, right? Mm. People are at this state of, of where they are in their mental health journey, whereby they just can't find the language to say it to another person. And I always say to them, if you're at that stage, write it down. And the important skill with journaling your mental health is you have to be as honest as possible with yourself on the page. Even if it means afterwards you throw that page into the bin or you burn it. And I think from that is where my podcast comes from. When I speak into the microphone, I never hold back uh, specifically on anything I would perceive to be a weakness or a vulnerability. I suppose it's trying to eradicate the shame around anxiety or around mental health or around, like you said there, it's okay to not know stuff. It's Mm. okay to let people know. I I am ignorant around this issue, but I'll tell you what I think. And even if I'm wrong, that's okay. Because you don't hear a lot of that, you see. Yeah. One of the most uncomfortable things to listen to, I always find, is when a person doesn't know what they're talking about, but they pretend they do know and we can all sense it. It makes us all really uncomfortable. So you don't hear a lot where people go, I'm ignorant on this issue 
it's okay to correct me, but I'm going to let you know what I think and you can disagree if you like. It's an extraordinary skill to have. It takes a battle with one's own ego as well, I think. And that's the, probably the most insurmountable thing is that you're not only dealing with another person's p- perceived judgment of yourself, but also dealing with your own ego who's trying to protect you going, no, 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 you're cool. You know everything. Exactly. And yeah. I actually, th- that skill, I developed that skill. I actually, I trained to be a psychotherapist for a couple of years, you know. Mm. Now, I never finished my training because my career took off as, as a musician. Before I was a podcaster, I was a musician with a band called the Rubber Bandits. But when I was training to be a psychotherapist, you had to strip away all ego. And also, there's a technique used within psychotherapy. If you are the therapist and you're speaking with a client, and what it's known as is appropriate self-disclosure. And what this is, is if a therapist is trying to help a client with their anxiety or with their depression, if the therapist can appropriately disclose a situation where they themselves were were experiencing depression or experiencing anxiety. If the therapist can say, this is how I felt, by showing that you're comfortable speaking about your vulnerability, it allows the client to then open up and Mm. be more, to feel not judged. Mm. So I think when I speak about mental health on my podcast, I think that's the most important thing. I let people know you know, when I was getting anxiety attacks in a shopping centre or something like or in a pub that I, I felt in that moment that I was going to die or I felt in that moment that I was going to vomit on everybody and become uh, the subject of attention. These are the thoughts that during an anxiety attack or a panic attack that we keep as very intimate things and we're very frightened to let anyone else know in case they judge us. So I just come straight out and go, this is how I felt. Mm. But it took me 10 years to get to the point where I'm okay saying that, you know, I had to do a lot of work. Was there a stigma uh, attached to disclosing? Well, see, it, it things are getting better now with the mental health conversation. They're certainly better. Like you said, you, you told me there that you were diagnosed with social anxiety in 2005, mm-hmm. which would have been around a similar time frame to myself. And in 2005, people weren't talking about mental health on the radio or the TV. People weren't really opening up. It was a specialist subject. And when I first told my friends 15, how long ago? 2005 is 15 years ago. Yeah, wow. When I yeah. first told, I know, fucking hell. When <laughs> I first told my friends, it makes people deeply uncomfortable because I tell you what it's similar to. When a person cries in front of us, we often want to reach for a tissue for that person, okay? But the thing is with reaching for a tissue to, when a person cries, we're not doing it to help them. We're actually doing it because their tears are making us uncomfortable. So the tissue is a distraction. It's not an act of compassion for the other person. It's, I'm going to fidget around in my pocket now and I'm going to give you a tissue and you're going to stop because those tears are bringing me to a place of myself that I'm not ready to go to. So when I would say to my friends, I got a panic attack, I got an anxiety attack, I have depression at the moment, I'm suicidal. It was too big back then for them to say, I'm listening. Instead, what I got was their body language would become visibly uncomfortable and I could see in their heads they were saying, why are you telling me this? This is too much. And in Ireland, what happens is 
we we have a phrase in Ireland called the crack C-R-A-I-C and mm-hmm. it's Gaelic for fun so Irish culture is very similar to Australian culture so Irish male culture we use the crack the fun as a way to kind of get by but it's also an unhelpful bandage in situations when someone exposes or expresses male vulnerability or weakness. So Irish men will use the crack, as in they'll punch you in the arm, they'll call you gay, they'll slag your, or, or they'll make fun of your mother, but they'll do this. It's the verbal equivalent of taking out tissues. Yeah. It's, you've just said something there that exposed the weakness. This has made me feel weak and vulnerable too. So now I'm going to turn everything into humour to avoid this situation as, as quickly as possible. So that's what I would have been met with. I, I do yeah. think things are changing now because the mental health conversation is much larger than it was in 2005. Back in a moment with Blind Boy, uh, we do have to play some ads here. So thank you for helping us keep the lights on. See you in a sec. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This is Better Make It Quick. We are revisiting our chat with Blind Boy from 2020. He's a fantastic podcaster. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend his show. He's quite politically active, which is also kind of why I like him. But his political awareness didn't come out of nowhere. Yes, I don't come from a lot of money. I don't have kind of economic privilege. I never had to experience poverty, but I do come from a lot of... um what would you call it? Educational privilege. The, the the huge privilege I had growing up was I had a, an older family. Like my youngest brother is like 14 years older than me. Kind of like the situation that you have with your new kid and then your other yeah. kid is 16. I was that baby, except there was six of us. So I grew up in a house of adults and every one of these adults each had their own separate interests that they were passionate about. So the politics mainly would come from my father. My father, he was a communist uh, union organiser who, I, I mean, from four years of age, if Ronald Reagan was on television, my dad would say to me, see that Ronald Reagan dude and you see the way he looks like the good guy. Well, he's actually not the good guy because this is what he's doing in South America. And I was continually made aware of to question things in the media to understand we'll say Marxist theory from my dad I was always encouraged to think this way and this was kind of rewarded so it got me thinking politically it got me thinking academically 
and almost every member of my family I can credit them with a with a a different facet of my personality. I mean, when I was finished talking politics with my dad, I had another brother who was obsessed with music. I had another brother who was obsessed with uh, art. I had a brother who was obsessed with science. So I was hugely, hugely privileged as a child to have grown up in this non-stop intellectually stimulating environment where not only was I, I lucky enough to listen to people talking about things that they're passionate about, but for me to receive praise when I kind of spoke up with my own opinions, you know, because that's important. I, 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 Whatever feedback we receive as children, whatever we're told by the adults around us as that's a good thing, that tends to shape our personalities as adults. So it kind of makes sense. My personality today, I, I can really trace it back. The confidence that I have to be able to learn about things and speak about things and to feel okay to be wrong about things. It all comes from my childhood and, and the privilege I had in, in that respect. Holy shit, blind boy, parent teach night must have been fucking intense. <laughs> it, it would have been, but I again, like, I, I grew up with that stupid fucking Irish Catholic shit, you know? Uh, and my dad would have been, I, I won't say he was an atheist. No, my dad was spiritual. He believed in a God, but he would have been very much anti-Catholic and... I'd have been in school in the in the late 80s, early 90s, so the, the Irish Catholic Church still had power. It was the end of their power, but they still had power. Man, I remember I was seven years of fucking age, and one of the dudes in the class, we had a free class, that's when the teacher's not present and all the students are there on, your, on their own, and we, we were seven, we were like seven years of age, and one of, one of the dudes in the class who was a friend of mine, he got it into his head that he wanted to stick his dick in a girl's ear for fun. Now, we're seven years of age, you know. So he went and did this. He took his willy out and he put it in a girl's ear and everyone laughed. It wasn't like a mean thing. It wasn't bullying, but it was inappropriate for seven-year-olds, you know. So then I think the little girl told or someone else told a teacher, but our teacher was a nun. So what happened was the nun came in and the nun scolded us, but what the nun did was... So we were seven years of age. So when you're raised a Catholic, Catholicism was was forced upon me with baptism. If I did, well, if I wasn't baptized a Catholic, I wouldn't have been allowed into a school in Ireland. That's why we're all Catholic, even though we don't want to be. But the nun went and got three jam jars. Do you have jam in Australia? We do. Yeah. So the nun got three jam jars, and she filled them with clean water, and she said, "Blind boy." the other lad and another lad who was involved, she said, these are your souls and this is clean water. Because of what you've done this in this class with that girl, she got dirt out of a flower pot and put the dirt into the jars and said, here are your dirty black souls. Here are your dirty souls and you're going to go to hell with your dirty souls. And the thing is, we were due to have our first confession like a month later, which is a religious thing, very fucked up. You essentially walk into an upright coffin with a stranger and tell him your secrets. Yep. Like, you got to go and confess your sins to a priest at seven years of age. When you're seven, you don't have fucking sins. Seven-year-olds don't have sins. I, we, most of us had to make them up. But they denied me my first confession. They said that uh, we weren't ready to have first confession because of what we'd done. And they let us stew with our dirty souls for like six months until we could have confession. Now, 
that was very traumatic for me. I was lucky to go home to a house where I had parents who were saying to me, that nun's a, a stupid bitch and souls aren't real and all of this stuff. But whatever about me, here's the big crime. This is what they fucking missed. And this is what I now realise as an adult. For me, it was an unpleasant experience. My friend who took his dick out and put it into the girl's ear, okay, he came from a much more disadvantaged background than me. I remember, like, we'd be six years of age and his fucking uncle used to come up in a van and hand him a backpack and make him walk to another side of town with the backpack and I never, I never questioned what that was. But the thing is, I know from psychology, if a seven-year-old child is doing anything with their penis and putting it places, that means mm. that that seven-year-old child is learning it from somebody or may... Yep. He's either in contact with another child who's been abused or has been abused themselves. The nuns didn't fucking see that. The nuns instead chose to speak about his soul instead of ringing social services or ringing, ringing somebody who, who cares and saying... I have a child in my class of seven years of age who wanted to put his penis in a girl's ear. Why does he know about putting his penis in things? Yeah. That seven-year-old is now, uh, he's doing life in prison for murder. Fucking hell. And he had a bad life and he was failed. Every part of his life, he was failed by the system and failed by everything. And I just always remember thinking back there was your opportunity to intervene as to what whatever he was experiencing at home. Yeah. So that was like, that was my childhood in school. <sighs> only, only last year, man, yeah, have we made it a situation in Ireland where you don't have to be baptised in order to get into a school. We've only brought that in last year. But I grew up with a Catholic education, so Catholic morality was, was a huge part of my life. So my parents had a difficult job in trying to stop me being indoctrinated with that shit. I really could chat to Blind Boy all day. Our full conversation is on episode 322. I thoroughly recommend it and very, very highly recommend you dive into the Blind Boy podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Bruce Steele who produced this episode, Andy Marr on audio and video posts. I'll see you back here on Friday. <laughs>